and thanks for joining us in Beaver Stadium. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. Sean Fitz, Tyler Donahue, and we just watched Penn State and Pitt wrap up their final scheduled game. It was number 100 in their history, which goes back to the 1890s, and Penn State uh, serves up a stinging loss for Pitt, sends them back west. Uh, and Penn State improves to three and zero. As we're going to get to, there are plenty to there's plenty to work on during the bye week, uh, which is here already suddenly in September for Penn State. But Sean, uh, three straight wins to finish off uh, this four game set against Pitt, and uh, this is this goes back to a win is a win is a win. But on both sides of this game, the fans are going to come away with a lot of questions. Yeah, I, that's that's <laughs> a pretty pretty good way to phrase it. Uh, yes, you're, you're right. Number one uh, is getting that third straight win against Pitt, ending the series, going out on a good note. Uh, that You can put that in one pile. Number two, not the prettiest game we've ever seen. Uh, that was uh, the first half, very similar to what we saw last week against Buffalo. You kept waiting for Penn State to break out, break out, break out. That did not happen. They did not make some of the plays that uh, we're, we've grown accustomed to seeing them make. And you come out of it with a 17-10 to 10 nail-biter, and, and Pitt had some shots at the end. <laughs> we're certainly going to talk about that. Uh, Pitt had some shots at the end, and they just uh, Penn State stood up when they had to, got the win. Yeah, seventeen ten. The final here at Beaver Stadium. Uh, Pitt uh, Pitt comes in uh, coming off of a ten point victory over Ohio. We know last week that score wasn't really indicative of, of how Penn State played Buffalo. They won 45-13, but trailed at halftime, and it appeared they would be trailing at halftime. As we'll get to in a moment, the special teams weapon came up big. We've got to give the defense a tip of the cap. This is a Penn State defense that has only given up three points after halftime in a couple of games where they were really relied upon to carry some of the heavy lifting. And uh, again, we saw four running backs involved. Uh, we saw Sean Clifford continue his progression, and it wasn't really a, a necessarily a step forward today but as we'll talk about he did say he's most excited to dive into this because he feels like this is the most critical tape that they're going to have and they're going to have 13 days to sink their teeth into it before they start their Big Ten schedule. James Franklin said after the game that that Pitt came in with a plan they executed that plan second straight week we've heard that from Franklin which uh, you know kind of kind of makes your head uh, scratch your head um, but yeah, Pitt came in was physical right away. Defensively, attack Clifford came up, uh, you know, put some pressure on inside the tackle box, which I think kind of uh, shook him a little bit. Clifford had uh, had trouble getting rid of the ball. He held it a little bit too long. Was watching, uh, maybe had a couple eyes down at that point, and you know, it's it, it's kind of is what it is with a growing quarterback. Um, you know, just to go back to the the overall themes of this game, I think Penn State got out coached, and I think Penn State, you know, they're 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 satisfied with a seventeen to ten win. But I do think they were outcoached by Pitt. Pitt had a, I, I think a, a game plan in which they came in was a little bit more physical than Penn State wanted to be, and they they executed what they did. They also stepped up and made some plays. We're gonna get to, to that in a little bit as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, outcoached by Pitt, no turnovers, very few penalties, and we'll certainly get to that. I know people listening have some probably strong opinions on that one. But Pitt won the field possession, uh, field possession game, time of possession. Which, as we said, it doesn't matter if you're scoring points. Time of possession doesn't matter. If you got turnovers, time of possession doesn't matter. Not a lot of points in this one. No turnovers in this one. So time of possession still comes out and matters. Um, pretty even from an offensive output standing. Penn, Penn State with 389 yards. Pitt with 396. Pitt had 14 more plays in that stretch. But 
it's 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 just a, a frustrating you know a win is a win you said that it's a frustrating performance from a team that you know if you if you line them up you you just thought that Penn State was going to bust it open one time because or at any time because they were more talented it just didn't happen I think Pitt fans right now got to feel great about the Mark Whipple hire as their offensive coordinator I think he's done really good things with Kenny Pickett based on what we saw today from Pickett versus what we've seen in the past from him and I think at the same time Nittany Lions fans are going to continue to feel uneasy uh, about where this offense is at right now with with Ricky Ronnie and, and what they're working with and uh, I, I think when you look at the the Penn State offense and really to some extent the defense up front uh, series by series, it's a completely different look so often. And it's we're in three games, and this is kind of what you use the non-conference schedule for. We talked about the stepping stone kind of deal. But at some point, and I think it really needs to happen in the next 13 days, uh, I know people are going to focus in on running back, but there's just such a rotation going on in so many spots, and it's, it's really time to batten down the hatches and get to work because there's nowhere to hide pretty soon. You're just curious if they're getting a little too cute with some things. They know, they know they've know they got a ton of talent. We've seen they have some very talented guys, but I, I we just haven't seen the continuity. Uh, it's just the same the, the same themes that we saw from Penn State. You, you would have thought you know maybe a step forward after that Buffalo game last week. You kind of write Idaho off. Just it, it is what it is, but sort of the same themes. Uh, inefficiency on third downs on both sides of the ball. Uh, Penn State 4 of 13 on third downs. And Pitt, to be, I mean, to be quite honest with you, we talk about Penn State not getting off the field. Pitt 5 of 16 on third down, so not much better. Um, Penn State, a couple of key penalties. John Reed had a, a, a holding call, a pass interference call. Penn State just kind of shooting themselves in the foot at key times. And these third downs, the screen pass, you, you knew it was coming a couple of times. They still didn't stop it. So just the same themes on both sides of the ball. Um, the screen game, James Franklin a- admitted after the game it should be a bigger part of their own offense, which I thought is a big step forward. You don't see too many uh, admissions like that right after the game, but just kind of the same the same game we watched last week, except Penn State did, did, didn't really pull away. Another rare admission from James Franklin, which we just spoke about before started recording, was that he said this, this pass rush is not living up to the expectations that they've applied to it, that externally have been applied to it. It's a program last year that led the nation in sacks per game, and I think we were in agreement that it had the ability to, to exceed what they were capable of last year. So far, you know, th- they came up with one sack against Buffalo, three sacks today. Um, that's not that's not necessarily par for the course, especially when the team is passing 55 times like like they did with Pitt. Uh, but, but Sean, let, let's get back to the start of this to kind of d- describe how this game developed because uh, the first half was interesting. You got pretty deep into the first quarter. Penn State's pinned back at their own two-yard line. You turned to me in the press box and said, they're just setting this. So they want to beat Daniel George's 95-yard touchdown record here at Beaver Stadium. And Journey Brown just about did it. Oh man, that was something. He third down, I believe it was. Uh, I mean, they're just trying to get some get some space for Blake Gillikin. Essentially, all of a sudden, Journey Brown busts off the uh, off the left side, cuts back to the right. Third down, yeah. Third, yeah, he's got he's got Sean Clifford as one of his lead blockers, which actually ended up you know that's why it wasn't a touchdown eventually, but kind of slowed down for his blockers to set them up, and he got caught from behind. But still, it was an 85, 86 yard run. Uh, a really impressive run by Journey Brown, and, and I think we're gonna we're gonna chip away at the running backs here uh, more about the rotation and the personnel than the the actual performance because yes. uh, five catches out of the running backs you, you got them involved in the passing game a little bit. Journey Brown was over a hundred yards. Noah Kane had a really good showing that we're gonna get back to. We're definitely gonna get back to oh, one yeah. of those too. Um, but the, the running back performance wasn't wasn't the issue. It was more the rotation, but. 
getting back to it, Penn State finished off the drive, got a nice little uh, pass interference that was uh, no question about it, and then Devin Ford plunged in from one yard out. Yeah, how do you think Journey Brown felt? Hey, Journey, don't worry. We're going to send Devin in. He'll finish this off. Uh, thanks for the 85-yard run. Always interesting to see that in fantasy. What do they call that? A vulture a touchdown? Vulture, yeah. uh, but, but Devin Ford, uh, that's a couple touchdowns for him through three games. Again, he played the, the least out of the four running backs that we've talked about um, in, in the last couple of games that's been consistent after he led the team with, with 107 rushing yards in the first game. Uh, but obviously that was a huge play for Journey Brown to bust out with. It takes you all the way. We're, we're underneath the seven-minute mark, and it's still 7 nothing Penn State. We talked about it. It, it. There's there's not a lot of rhythm going on uh, for Penn State offensively, and, and we <laughs> – Pitt can't force a turnover for their life. Uh, they are now at 21 quarters without a turnover. Penn State put the ball on the ground. Uh, Sean Clifford was hit. Uh, Michael Mennett really sp- sprung at that ball. I think he kind of jumped in around four Panthers players who I, I thought were going to have a great chance to scoop, maybe run with it. Uh, but but that was huge because this is a game where a turnover on either side and, and no one turned the ball over um, could have totally swung the game in one direction or the other. And there were a couple times during the game, we're going to jump around a little bit, a couple times during the game where you thought that turnover was there or you thought that turnover was coming. Jan Johnson thought he return, or recovered a fumble in the second half. Dan Chisena made uh, one of the best timed hits on a, on a punt return that I've ever seen that was eventually flagged for kick-catch interference. You can split hairs all you want with, the, did he give him enough room, but the ball was there and he made the hit, made the fumble. You know, if that happens, that changes the game significantly. But no turnovers for either side. Very, very few penalties. Um, just a, it wasn't, it was a, a, a really clean, sloppy game. We'll say that. Yeah. You know? I mean, I actually, you know, I was up there and a few times I said, this is, people aren't going to, you know, call this poetry emotion and Penn State fans aren't going to be satisfied and Pitt fans aren't going to be satisfied. But it was a competitive game that I enjoyed watching from just watching two teams go at it. There was a lot of passion on the field. Um, you know, Micah Parsons admitted to that after the game. You know, there was just uh, an extra bit of rowdiness from both of the uh, both sets of players out there. We saw a lot, saw a lot of jawing after the plays. To their credit, we never saw anybody go too far and get too extracurricular with it and swing or anything. Um, so you know, but, but swing I, hard at least. Yeah, swing hard at least. Uh, but what what a really interesting drive for Pitt, and it kind of encapsulates what their day was about. Uh, their first scoring drive midway through the second quarter ends with a 25-yard field goal. Kenny Pickett last year, Sean, completed nine passes against Penn State in the entire game. He completed 11 passes on that one drive alone, but they got three points out of it. They got three points out of an 18-play, 85-yard, nine-minute and 15-second drive. That's really hard to do. By the way, Kenny Pickett was awesome yes. today. I mean, he was he he showed what experience can do and we and we're going to put him up against Sean Clifford in terms of, of comparisons here, but he was able to move around and and you talk about that pressure not being there. Penn State pressured him. He made some really good plays out of, outside of the pocket, got running, uh, made some good throws. So Kenny Pickett played I think played well enough for them to win and that's something we talked about on the podcast earlier this week is you're you're now asking that veteran quarterback to go out and win you games. I thought he played well enough for for Penn, or for Pitt to win this game. The, the the rest just didn't come through. And a lot of that has to do with the running game. Penn yes. State shut down Pitt's running game. Pitt has has leaned so heavily on the running game in the last couple of years. 24 yards on 25 carries, which is a, a phenomenal total for the Penn State defense. Yeah, they had uh, Vincent Davis who scored a touchdown. He led all running backs in Pitt in yards per carry with 1.5 yards per rush. So that tells you what you need to know. Uh, credit to the to the Penn State defensive front in that regard. We mentioned they didn't really 
really do a great job getting after the quarterback. They came close on a few, but uh, defensive uh, the, against the run game. And, and, you know, it's interesting. Last year we saw Pitt absolutely gash Penn State in that first half for 205 yards. But since then, six quarters of, of sample size, Penn State's just completely shut that aspect down. Unlike last year, though, Pickett, you know, credit Mark Whipple for this, credit him for his personal development. He was ready to answer that bell. And big part of the reason that uh, I was picking a wider margin here, my prediction coming in was 38 to 14. Yours was 38 to 20. Uh, obviously, we thought the offense was going to be firing on better cylinders, but I just didn't think Kenny Pickett was going to be able to kind of provide that uh, punch against the Penn State defense. And he did. By the way, he targeted uh, Tasir Mack and Maurice French 30 combined times. A and Mack, my goodness, some of the catches he made down the stretch to extend pitch chances, uh, they were very, very impressive. When we saw Sean Clifford go to his weapons, they're just there were two guys in the same spot at one time. I think it was Fryermuth and Hamler, if I'm not mistaken, in the end zone. Uh, there were passes that he just kind of floated up that, that were just too too long. And, and, and I will say... Pickett looked a lot like I thought maybe Sean Clifford would today, and Sean Clifford looked a lot like I thought Kenny Pickett would because he wasn't comfortable. Uh, his feet were very rarely set where you want them to be when he released the ball. Uh, but again, the big number for Sean Clifford, and I said it when he was going for you know four touchdowns uh, against Buffalo, zero turnovers through his first three starts. And this was a game where, again, a fumble, uh, an errant pass, a bad decision, you set Pitt up, three points is, is pivotal in this one. Absolutely. And and going back to Pitt's run game, they had a nine-yard carry by Shockey Jacques-Louis uh, on sort of a jet sweep. And everyone else, Pickett averaged 0.8 yards per carry. Davis averaged 1.5. Uh, A.J. Davis averaged 0.6. And A.J. Davis, though, major. I mean, and this is the screen game we're talking about. Right. He had seven catches for 94 yards, and a couple of those were absolutely backbreaking. Yeah, that short passing game became a part of the running. It really became their only part of the running that game. That was, yeah. Um, Penn State shut down uh, uh, French, the running back, or excuse me, the, the receiver that we highlighted this week as, as Penn, or excuse me, Pitt's. Most dangerous player, but Taysir Mack, the former Indiana transfer, uh, came up big, came up with some huge catches along the sideline in the fourth quarter. He went for 12 for 125. Mm. And by the way, we're 372 yards for Pickett, 222 yards for Clifford, zero touchdown passes on either side. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and Pickett, that's a career high, I think, by about 70 yards for him. No he, surprise. He's not shown that at all. I mean, we watched the Virginia tape, yeah. didn't do it then. L last year, I mean, going back to his freshman year was probably the best that he's looked. And he has not shown anything like we saw from him from an accuracy standpoint. From I mean, he, he had a, a couple of drops today, and there were drops on both sides. A little slick out there, a little wet uh, for both teams because that storm came in. Of course, the lightning delay and everything like that. But guys were slipping all over the place. Dro balls were dropped on both sides. So that may have had something to do with it. But, yeah, I mean, Kenny Pickett, you got to take your hat off to him, played a phenomenal ball game. And he just did, he, he was able to, to, you know, move around in the pocket, move laterally, avoid some of the pass rush. It's not like Penn State wasn't applying pressure on him. There were times, though, where he just understood. And this is what Sean Clifford, I thought, struggled with today a little bit. You know, stepping up in the pocket, using that peripheral vision to, to buy yourself some more time because Pickett wasn't going out there and running for 20 yards, but what he was doing was extending plays. Obviously, he, he, there was a lot of confidence for a good reason in a few of those receivers. The running back was able to make some plays in, in the passing game, but I thought overall Clifford, you know, handled himself extremely well in facing some duress and, and you know, certainly not going to put this loss on him, uh, but, but you do wonder. Uh, you know how he feels about some of the coaching decisions later in the game, and, and kind of taking the ball out of hand, his hand a little bit. But we do have to say, um, going back to uh, to French, he was a guy that, and John McGonigal said this when he joined us from the Pittsburgh Post Gazette in the last podcast. Much like KJ Handler, the key is find him in space. It may be near the line of scrimmage, it may be downfield. Get him the ball in space. 
Penn State did a nice job of snuffing that out. And and ultimately, though, I think a, a good theme for this team consistently, 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 open field tackling from the defensive backs was excellent today for the most part. I, I don't remember a lot of blatant missed tackles, and I think it starts with those cornerbacks, though. You got John Reed, Tariq Castro-Fields, and Castro-Fields came up like a missile that one time. But when you have guys like that clamping out on the perimeter, you watch a ton of football at the college level. We watch a ton of NFL football. There's a lot of bad missed tackles from defensive sec- secondaries all across football. That's one thing I feel like they have pretty short up here in 2019. French was visibly frustrated. If you watched after Penn State's touchdown in the second half, uh, Jordan Stout kicked it through the end zone as Jordan Stout has has come to do. Um, French is their kick returner, their punt returner. You want to get him as many touches as possible. He didn't get a chance to return a kick today. I thought that was a big deal. It's, it's a guy that can flip a field for you really quickly. Jordan Stout kind of took him out of the game and, and really frustrated him. Are we talking about Jordan Stout? Can we talk about Jordan Let's Stout? Let's talk about yeah. Jordan Stout. Well, yeah. yeah, not only did he neutralize a, a very uh, skilled playmaker on Pitt's, on Pitt's team, but he also drilled a field goal that I felt, you, you, I mean, Penn State needed that shot in the arm going into the locker room because they were looking at heading into the locker room again, trailing for a second straight week. Knew the Beaver Stadium crowd was going to let them know that they weren't pleased about the situation. But uh, Jordan Stout, you're able to, to, to send him out there for a 57-yard field goal. And by the way, credit to Ricky Slade, who, who again, did not make a big impact on the ground game. He has not produced uh, as a rusher so far this season, but he had a big 40-yard reception, catch and run from Clifford. Well-designed play, well-executed play, um, and, and that really set the stage for the field goal. Otherwise, it, you know, you're looking at maybe punting the ball and Pitt taking a knee. 57 yards, though, that's not just the Penn State record. That is a kind of weapon that really doesn't exist on most college campuses. It, it existed on Virginia Tech's, and they did not give him a scholarship, and now he's at Penn State. James, I almost forgot to mention that Virginia Tech let him go without a scholarship. James Franklin is, is ecstatic about that. You can tell watching him in the post game. He, he just says Stout's name, and he smiles, and he's got good reason to. I mean, he's, he hasn't had a, a, a kick returned this year at all, and that's the, that was the plan when they got him to be a kickoff specialist, and he's that long bomber for them. He's now got, I think, a 53. Was it 53 in week one? Yep. And then a 57 today, which is a program record. Um, you can't say enough about this addition to George, of Jordan Stout. I mean, you, you, we're probably spending too much time talking about kickers here, but he was just phenomenal well, once this again. This kid warrants the spotlight. And, I, and if I wasn't mistaken in the post-game press conference, it was the, the first kicker for Penn State to make two 50-plus yard field goals in a single season since 2008, I believe, uh, about a decade. So, I mean, th- this kid's bringing something that just – wasn't here before and, and we're three games in yeah and, and, we're, and we're yeah he's already got the he's, not even, he's not even the full-time right. he's not even the full-time kicker right so. and, and, and so jordan stout's been a game changer so you know pitt ends up scoring there uh with with 208 left in in the half um kind of brushed over that but they took the lead it was an eight play 78 yard drive the freshman vincent davis scored from three yards out and, and again you're thinking 208 left in the half this offense has looked choppy i just thought that that Ricky Slade reception, that, that that was huge, setting up the stout kick. You go into halftime at 10-10, and then you come out, and it's kind of just you resume where you were. Uh, these teams kind of exchanging punches, not looking really pretty doing it. Pickett completing some nice passes, but things stalling out because I feel like Pitt was constantly facing third and eights, third and elevens, third and twelves, and, and, and Penn State's defense – um, you know, they're not getting maybe the sacks and the sexy plays that people were anticipating, but they went to work in the second half. Penn State's defense on first and second down was was really, really good. Then you put them in position. I, I'm not sure what the deal is in terms of uh, uh, why they can't defend a screen. I mean, let's just say they can't defend a screen. And uh, I guess in the last uh, the last series, Cam Brown made a really nice play, and that's worth noticing. Um, but they they just they it it was everybody saw it coming too. I mean, we were sitting up there talking about eh, it's perfect screen time. 
Uh, it just did not happen. So that's something that needs tightened up over the bye week. I think uh, Brent Pry is probably going to be the first one to tell you that. James Franklin actually said that. I think we mentioned that a little bit earlier. Uh, but uh, now you, you roll on and a, a, a turning point, I guess, that we really didn't see coming. Noah Kane comes into the game. The freshman out of IMG Academy checks in at running back, and they've, they've kind of fed him, force-fed him. This does not sound like Penn State uh, offensive football lately. 13-play, 88-yard, 4-minute and 49-second drive. We talked last week, I think, all four of their consecutive touchdowns against Buffalo in that second half were, like, 100 seconds or less. Um, I, I, you called it, what did you say, a momentum swing? It's almost like a breath of fresh air for this offense because Kane came in and he touched the ball seven times on those 13 plays. He produced 53 yards and, and he picked up at least three yards on every single touch. And that's what Franklin spoke highly about him back in the spring this summer. Said, hey, look, he may not be the guy that's going to go get the 81-yard touchdown run or leap over people, but we feel like he can be someone that you look at the stat sheet at the end of the day, you look at the drive charts, and you say, Noah Kane just sets us up, puts us on the right schedule. And Penn State staff, I mean, I would say that they had to come off that drive thinking, wow, you know, this is something we got to go back to. And then, you know, in the press box, there was questions about it. After the game, there was questions about it. This is not a knock on the receiver uh, running back group as a whole, but that was it for Kane. Well, what's interesting is, is Franklin talks, uh, and you asked him this week about the running back rotation. You wrote a story on it, Lions 24-7 uh, on Friday, I believe. You asked him about the running back rotation, and he's talking about, okay, we're going to play all those guys. We're going we're gonna to play all four of them. We've got series splits that we're going to go in, and then we're going to ride the hot hand. And that hasn't shown up. And that's something that's is very interesting to me. Kane was obviously productive. I mean, he's 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 fallen forward. He's doing some some great things. He's a tough runner. Uh, his 13 yard touchdown run, you know, really didn't look like it was going to be much when he got the ball, and all of a sudden he explodes through there. He's not he's not he's not going to score a, an 80 yard touchdown. He's not going to run away from people, but he can be a very productive back in this uh, in this system. And then you go away from him almost completely. I think it was actually completely. I don't know if he got back into the game after that. Went with Journey Brown in the four minute offense. They did get a first down in the four-minute offense, which is, you know, the baby steps for, for Penn State. And uh, it, it sort of extended the their drive, extended the, the clock a little bit and put Pitt in a tough situation. But Penn State's running back rotation is a head-scratcher right now. Ricky Slade's not producing at all. Noah Kane really did some nice things. Journey Brown, of course, had the big run, did some nice things. Devin Ford, I thought, you know, looked pretty good, especially as a receiver. He caught a nice pass, got up the sideline for nine or ten yards and got a first down, I believe. Uh, but I just I, I want to see a little bit more concentration. The, the, the carries, once again, very, very, uh, I guess, very much dispersed among those four. But you might maybe want to see him knock it down to two or three. Yeah, it's the stick to the script thing is just a little too apparent in, in this situation. And I know that they want to. I'll be able to, to, I guess, gauge these guys. Well, we have to note this. For the first time, we did see two on the field at the same time for, for possession. It did not produce points, but we did see uh, Journey Brown, Ricky Slade sharing the backfield uh, on either side of Sean Clifford. I've been wondering that for a while. Something I heard from De Devin Ford when I made a trip down to North Stafford High School when he was a senior there. He was enthused by the fact that conversations with the Penn State staff indicated that they would like to put multiple guys on the field at one time. Part of that is because you want to recruit a guy and get him to campus. But also, I think you look at that four-deep group at running back and, and what you've got elsewhere on the offensive rooms, I think there is motivation to try to figure out ways to get two of those guys in the field at the same time. And I think that's something, 
again, that, that they're going to have to look at. And we just don't know uh, quite yet what, what guys need to prove, but I don't know what more you could really want out of a guy like Noah Kane so far uh, through his first three games. You know, last week he got one touch. It was a two-yard touchdown run against Buffalo. Week one against Pitt, uh, or week one against Idaho, uh, 4.9 yards per carry, a couple of touchdowns. And then he scores for a third straight game, six carries, 40 yards. He adds a, a 13-yard catch on that drive, as I said. But then that was it for him. So Journey Brown, 100-yard game. And 85 of them came on one run. But you know Devin, Fa Devin Ford has a 100-yard game. 81 of them came on one run. But the guy that you're looking at, you know, where is it on the ground, is Ricky Slade, uh, a guy that we've perceived all offseason as the frontrunner for the starting job. He was the first guy out there the last couple weeks, and I don't think we noted it yet on the show. Journey Brown was the—I'm the, I'm reluctant to say that he was the first team guy, but he was out there for the first he two— He started yeah, the game. He started mean, the game. He was out there for the first two possessions, and if I'm not mistaken, he was kind of the closer as well towards the end of the game. They didn't really close much, but he was the guy on the football field uh, toward the end. But here's Ricky Slade uh, against Idaho, five carries for nine yards. He did reach the end zone last week, three carries for eight yards, and then against Pitt, four carries for four yards. Part of me says, well, geez, that's not very productive. Part of me says, this guy was the number one all-purpose back coming out of high school. How is he maxing out through three games at five rush attempts? Yeah, not getting him the ball as a runner, and I think that's more of a problem about the system than about the player in general because, you know, I think there's been one guy that's gotten double-digit carries uh, so far in his journey. Brown today, I think he had 11 carries or 10 carries. I don't have the stats in front of me, but yeah, you're Journey Brown was the only guy who had double digit carries through two games. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty nuts. And um, he hit ten. Yeah, ten carries for 109 today, but he had 11 carries. Led all the players coming into this one uh, through two games, and and uh, you know right now you, you're just wondering again. You got this bye week. How are they going to sort through it? Um, Micah Parsons, though, said something pretty interesting. And I he always says stuff interesting. I really enjoy talking to Micah. We got him for a solid stretch after this game. And he felt like Noah Kane, uh, you know, in no uncertain terms, showed that he belonged in the football field for Penn State. And not just this afternoon, but moving forward. And I think he's built the case. But I don't necessarily think today anyone hurt their case. Ricky Slade came up with the big reception that helped set up that field goal that they needed at the end of the first half. Devin Ford, like you said, very minimal uh, sample size in the last couple of weeks. But he's done good things with those opportunities. Journey Brown clearly looks like he's coming to his own as, as a college running back, and he belongs at this level. And then, uh, and then obviously, no, again, we've gone on and on and on about him. So I, I don't know if it's necessarily – you know, I do know it's not a personnel issue. It's something where – the coaching staff's got to sit down and figure out, you know, who are we comfortable taking the ball away from? Because that's really what it comes down to. But also, uh, you know, last week, quite frankly, they only had 11 combined carries. So I think game plan, game flow, script, all that stuff needs to be readdressed. And, and the offensive line is still average. I mean, I yeah, think that's no probably about the the best way to put it because you know there's not a ton of space for these guys even when they do get the ball. So that's something that that that, that will hinder a second look. So. Uh, Sean Clifford, 14 of 30, 222 yards, no touchdowns, and you talked about no interceptions. They came after him with pressure early. He started 5 of 15. He finished the game 9 of 15. They, they moved him around a little bit in the second half. He made some nice throws, made a really nice throw to Justin Shorter um, in that four-minute offense to uh, to extend the drive and, and, and get Penn State a first down. But still watching him learn on the job. I think that's fairly obvious to anybody that was in the stadium today. He looked a little rattled in the first half. He held the ball a little bit too long, was looking around, doing some things. Second half, he moved around, got a little bit more comfortable. It's a process. I mean, he's it's, it's not... I don't think he's close to losing his job or anything like that, but it's a process. The thing that, that Clifford needs to do is help himself because he missed some big-time throws today, and, and we're not completely used to seeing that yet from him. And it was 
deep balls. It's tough to outthrow or to, to overthrow KJ Hamler. He did it a couple of times today. He had a really, really good opportunity across the middle. I think it was to Hamler as well, where they faked a little quarterback power. He went to his right. Don't really think he got to his, his feet under him, threw it behind KJ Hamler. So just missing little things like that are going to go a long way. And that's so far, it's it's something that we need to see a little bit more develop uh, development over in the next couple of weeks. The nine-yard pass completion he had at Devin Ford in the second half, I thought was a great example of, of what he needs to do a better job of. And that's what's taking that taking what's there. I know there's 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 a lot of, of motivation and a lot of temptation to go deep to a guy like KJ or, or you know, force the ball because you think you had the superior athlete down there and you had the trust there. Uh, but, you know, I think there was times when even Pat Fryermuth was running across the middle and, and you had him, but then you went deep. And, and that's stuff that they're going to get a feel for. Let's face it, the chemistry is still brewing uh, for the, for this group. And, you know, you look across the targets, KJ Hamler had nine, uh, Dotson had five, no one else had more than three. Um, you know, I think there are some times though where you know he he does look at KJ and he says, "Where's KJ? I got to get in the ball." And you know what? They've been to campus for three years. They've played a lot of football together, uh, and, and they're you know, and they've really bonded these last three weeks, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, going back to uh, that's an inside joke. Yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, nine targets for Hammer, three catches, sixty-eight yards. He had that big one out of the shadow of their own end zone, which obviously a couple of drives started very deep. And Pitts punter, and I I know I highlight the punter every week. He didn't apply the punter jinx. He was really really good. This this week and Blake Gilligan was excellent as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the John, uh, John, uh, Jahan Dotson had a really, really nice catch, but only a couple of tar- or five targets for him, two targets for Pat Frymuth. I think that's the thing to take away from this. Uh, he needs to get the ball more, he needs to get the ball in earlier downs. Pitt, I think, did do a little bit more to take him away. But as you mentioned, there were a couple of times that he was running free, and you got to get him the ball in those situations. Yeah, I'll, give me uh, you know nine yards to 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 Frymuth whenever you can get it. Right. If you're the quarterback, and and Fry, I was surprised because this game started off with a 16 yard pass completion to Pat Frymuth, and you say. He's going to get kick, cooking, picking up right where he left off last week when he was recognized as the top tight end in the country um, in week two and, and just did not see that. Justin Shorter you know, caught the two passes that came his way, uh, but again, not really getting an opportunity to see him uh, you know, get a chance to, to be in a rhythm to this point in the season. Uh, aside they, from They really did go downfield on. to Shorter one time, which I thought I liked. I'd like to see a little bit more of that. And they went down the middle to Fryermuth on that pass interference. That's the thing about the, the pit. When you're watching pit against Virginia – um, very physical when the ball's in the air. Thought a few more pass interference. You know, just do a little bit more to try and get a pass interference because those those rec- or those D backs will grab you. I do wonder if if Clifford was coached up this week to to say, hey, if you see, I mean, throw it throw it extra deep to see if we can get a pass interference because this is one of the more physical defensive secondaries. We expect this. They're going to be grabby. Uh, they're going to be jostling. You know, if, if it's there, maybe if you got one on one coverage, throw it deep. Throw it as far as you can. If KJ can go fetch. Maybe he'll get it. If not, maybe they tug on the jersey. They weren't getting though. They were allowing them to play physically, and, and also credit to Pitt for, for playing a clean game back there. But that was very apparent. The physicality was there. But also, they, they did overall run the ball better uh, today than than they did last week. So you didn't necessarily need Clifford to be leading the, the you know to, to be passing it all over the place. But but it's just a very interesting thing because we see so many different game by game, and we were expecting we never know what to really anticipate with these non conference games. So we were expecting every game to feel a little bit different, to look a little bit different. For example, last week we saw four wide receivers involved. I mean, there was at least seven or eight wide receivers on the field today. We saw Cam Sullivan Brown again. Matt Hippenhammer got his shot. 
Danchisena, who, by the way, hard break for him today overall. Too because, hard break. Yeah, yeah he, you know, he forced that, that fumble on the punt return, and then that's overturned. And then he catch, comes down with a tremendous catch. It, it, it appeared, and uh, then it turns out the nose of the football did hit the turf, and then that was the correct it's overturn. The right call. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but overall, again, we're seeing so much personnel come in and out of the game, and um, I, I just wonder if there is a point. Last year was the Ohio State game, Sean. If you remember, it was all of a sudden like went from something like where, where everybody's playing to all of a sudden we're not playing anybody. Like Miles Sanders was the only running back to get in the game. Now, a trip to Maryland, especially after uh, Maryland loses a Temple, looks a little less scary, uh, and certainly not an Ohio State game. But I do think they're going to get, uh, as a staff, to the point where they pare things down a little bit in personnel. And, and unless injuries happen or unless a guy regresses, uh, you're going to see certain players get fed more reps. I just think that's the natural kind of uh, evolution of where this team needs to get to. Yeah, and you've got uh, Big Ten travel limits, so it's going to cut down on a couple of those guys. Now, it's not going to change the, the the whole makeup of the team, but you know it, it, it may impact your special teams a little bit. Uh, going from, I guess, where we're at to the inevitable, uh, down at the end, end of the game, Pitt gets the ball, they're driving, and all of a sudden they're inside Penn State's five. Penn State with a, a tremendous oh. goal line stand. Uh, did a really good job. Pitt, for whatever reason, abandoning the running game completely. Uh, Kenny Pickett tried to go, I think, uh, sort of an option type thing. He was stuffed by Garrett Taylor. Another incompletion. And then they send. Uh, we're actually recording from the opposing coach's visitor, or the, uh, the visitor's coaching box. And I'm still not seeing the angle why you kick a field goal in that spot. <laughs> yeah, and 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 that I had the butchered poten- that by the way. I mean, the pendulum swung from one fan base starting to experience the heart palpitations because let's go, let's review how that drive went, Sean, because I think that's important to talk about how it finished. They had a fourth and one situation on their own 43 yard line. There were still seven minutes and change, I think, on the clock. And you said to me, you were heading down to the field, and you said. Uh, oh, they got to go for it, don't they? And I'm like, no, like you don't have to. Their, their defense is playing well. Penn State's offense hasn't shown they're, they're going to drive down the field. You punt it, you're going to pin them back. Your punter's been great. That that was a questionable call to me, and they pulled it off. Well executed play. Great I think call. AJ Davis pretended he was trying to leap up top, uh, went over the top, found a receiver, and they were in business. And then they convert. They converted a third, third and fifteen, and a third and eleven on that drive. And then all of a sudden, you know, by the way, Cam Brown also came up with a big play where Pickett rolled to his right. Uh, had a man open, it appeared for a second, but Cam Brown was not going to give him the time of day to be able to pull that off. So a couple, a nice defensive stand for, from the uh, from Penn State. You look at fourth and one, you think it's a no-brainer. Now, now you're now you're underneath the five-minute mark. Uh, if you don't get it and you're at the one, you know, see if Sean Clifford can figure out a way to get out of there and, right. and trust your defense, and, and you'll get the ball back and maybe get a shot. Instead. You know, it could not have played out worse for Pat Norduzzi because not only is it a questionable call either way, in my opinion, but you get absolutely zilch from a drive that took a lot of guts and and required some ballsy calls along the way. And then all of a sudden you forget they're in a jar somewhere and you don't have them anymore. You send out the field goal unit, miss an 18-yarder, clanks off the left upright, and again, you get nothing and all of a sudden you you need to come up with a defensive stop. And let's go to Narduzzi's explanation on this one uh, in the post-game press conference. The way he addressed this, and you're always interested how coaches are going to uh, own up or not own up to certain things, Narduzzi said they needed two scores anyways to win the game. So why not get one now? It's a seven-point game. Six points on the touchdown makes it a one-point game. So if you go for two, you can win the game or you're in the same situation and you got to force to get the ball back and you got to make a stop and, and make Penn State punt. 
Or even if Penn State finds a way to get a field goal, you still you still have life there. Uh, or you kick the extra point, and, and to me, some are going to say, oh, you're playing for overtime. No, there's about five minutes left on the clock. Get a defensive stop. Penn State, again, hasn't shown they can string together long drives. And I think Penn State on the ensuing series, what, they, they, they gave the ball back in about two minutes or so, two minutes and change. Uh, and so, in my mind, it, it, it completely didn't mesh with the way Narduzzi carries himself in the public forum, especially for this game. Uh, brash, the bravado, the we're going to take, we're going to go to Beaver Stadium and take it to him. Uh, and, and, and that mentality, and they showed it for a lot, especially on that drive. But when it mattered most, inexplicably, Pitt decided to, to put its tail between its legs, and that falls on, on the head guy. And, and you better believe for a coach who is now 19 and 21 since he picked up that win against Penn State in 2016, he's heading back to Heinz Field with a 1 and 2 record. And a lot of questions about his judgment. Pitt fans should not be happy. Uh, I mean, that, that there's no if you're going to go for it on the uh, on your own 45 there on fourth and one to not go for it there uh, at the goal line. And I know that they you know didn't have much success, but I didn't didn't personally like the the calls all that much. You know, to to get them into that uh, that that situation. So I just uh, I, I mean, he's talking about it's everybody's fault, but his own is what he kind of said after the whole thing. He's talking about getting points and. People questioning him or armchair quarterbacks, and you know me as an armchair mathematician as well. Think <laughs> you're yeah. out of your mind, man, and that's just a, a bad call. Uh, you know, is it what lost him the game? No, I mean there was a series of events that uh, you know that happens to every game, but really would have put them in a situation where they would have had a little bit more aggressiveness for a team that you know plays like he wants to coach or he projects that he coaches. To, 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 to fall back into that habit where you just want to take the points at that point doesn't really say much for, for Pat Narduzzi. Those pit players showed up and they played 60 minutes of, of, of solid football. Yep. And starting with their quarterback, who had a lot of questions to answer, and I thought defensively they brought the juice as well. And Penn State, uh, the players, the, I mean, overall, again, that was what part, why I enjoyed watching a lot of this game. I know people are going to point to some non-calls and penalties and, and just uh, some ugly play, but... Players were into it the entire game, and I have to imagine a lot of those Panthers players remember getting their ass kicked in the mud last year in the second half and getting outscored, what was it, 37 to nothing or whatever in that second half. They came ready to play. I think their coach let them down with that decision late. You got a quarterback that I think they can count on, they can trust, uh, and ultimately, again, what, what's what's the, the downside of this if you don't get it? You give the ball to Penn State at their own one-yard line, and I guess you hope that Journey Brown doesn't run for 85 yards again and, and that bites you in the ass, but... Ultimately, yeah, it's just perplexing. And and he was asked as a follow-up, well, you could go for two to counter the fact that, hey, you don't need two scores to win the game. You don't need two possessions to win the game. And his response was, you can do a lot of things. He responded to Dave Jones like a lot of Penn State fans would respond to Dave Jones. Uh, but, yeah, that's uh, if you're going to ask Kenny Pickett to go out there and win you the game, you're just going to take it out of his hand that quickly. I don't know. We're going to take a quick break and come back with some closing thoughts. Uh, I know we got to talk a little bit more about special teams, defense, and, uh, and Micah Parsons had himself a day. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your 
time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Micah Parsons came in with a lot of expectations for himself and, and obviously everyone else applying them to him. Today you saw what he can become at linebacker. I wrote a piece this week, Sean, about kind of his evolution as a player, how he stirs the imagination. He said in the post game today he still wants to be a running back. He still wants to play this and that, run, at, run charge after the quarterback. Today, as a linebacker, it was the most complete performance we've seen from Micah Parsons. Nine total tackles, seven of them solo, two tackles for loss. He had a really key pass breakup where I think if he doesn't get his hand on the ball, that's probably going for 30-plus yards. And he had a quarterback hurry on Pickett when Pickett was in a groove to force a, a, an errant third-down throw. That led to a punt. He was a game-changer, and you just said it was a best player on the field kind of performance. Yeah, he was. in my opinion, he was the best player on the field, and he carried himself like the best player on the field. He was, he was jacked up. He was ready to go. Um, you, you know, you don't always see that consistent effort that he put forth. The uh, the pass breakup that you mentioned, I don't think people understand what, what kind of a play that was. That was a phenomenal play by Micah Parsons. Um, you know, he did throw the running back into the end zone, so maybe he gets an assist on the touchdown. But nine tackles, uh, seven of them solo, two tackles for loss. They brought him off the edge a couple of times. He played some, uh, he played mostly, I think he was mostly will they brought in brandon smith to play a little bit brandon smith played the sam yep. so they they did some different things with micah but he was you know just all over the place he was a big part of that run game and a big part of the pre- the pressure in the second half wasn't so much that front four but them bringing cam brown them bringing micah parsons on some blitz jan johnson got a sack as well so they they sort of adjusted some things and again something we're going to go back to they need to make those adjustments quicker they need these players to uh you know, sort of soak it in and be able to make them on the fly, which is something Franklin addressed after Buffalo. I think you feel that same way again today. But you can't say enough about Micah Parsons, his development, his, his most complete game as a linebacker, I would think, to date. Counterpoint, if he doesn't make sure Mr. Davis gets in the end zone, you may not have time for Stout to kick that 57-yard field goal. So, He's so negative. You know, add up the math, add up the math. Um, so, yeah, Parsons you know, played, and I think he's a guy that I, I'm really curious Everybody to see. Everybody wants to do math. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really curious to see what Micah Parsons is going to look like by the time, you know, you get to that Michigan State game. I mean, there, there's a lot of, of, of just possibilities with Micah, but I think what you said, the body language, the way he was kind of chomping out there a little bit, kind of countering the energy that Pitt brought, because you need that. They... Again, Pitt came up. They were fired up. They didn't talk to the media all week, but they showed up here on the football field. And I think he's the kind of guy that you can look to and say, okay, you guys are fired up. So are we. And let me tell you about it, and let me show you how we're going to do it. Because, um, you know, they do have some some quiet leaders. Uh, some of those, I feel like a lot of the veterans are more presence guys than they are kind of pulpit guys who are going to beat the drum for you. So uh, really impressed by, by uh 
by him. And I think ultimately, uh, overall, what, what did you have? What did you think about the defensive front? Because it, it's going to be in the spotlight during this bye week. Franklin didn't really shy away from saying it's something that we need to work on. We saw quite a bit of Jason Oway. We saw Itor Grossmatos get shut out on the on the stat sheet, which is a rarity. Uh, Shaka Tony, I think the last couple of weeks he did have a sack today, but I think the last couple of weeks, as we gained a better sample size of who he is as a guy who's playing extended reps, I think that there's still some things that leave to be desired there. But I do think inside strides continue to be made for the defensive tackle group. I think a big part of that is PJ Mustafer. Fred Hansard, I think, played his best football today since coming back from an injury. Um, and ultimately, again, let's look at those rushing numbers, 24 yards on 25 attempts. Um, but again, we have built this defense, defense up, and it wasn't just us. It was the staff. It was the players as a fearsome kind of front that can challenge just about any that a college football program is going to construct in 2019. Yeah, you're going to need more more out of those ends. Yitor uh, Gross Matos especially. No no tackles today, no sacks. Uh, we didn't. I don't know if we called his name at all um, with pressures or anything like that. So uh, that's got he's got to be better. I thought Shaka Tony played fairly well. Um, also worth noting, he came out looked like he was coming off a, a little bit injured. So yeah, that'll be something some to help wa- from some teammates getting getting through the tunnel. That'll be like. something to watch during the bye week. Um, he he got a sack, uh, I believe, in the next to last drive. And on that fourth down, he just got mugged. I was watching it from the field. He just got absolutely mugged, and they did not call anything, um, which he probably could have had a sack that would have end the ga- ended the game right there. Um, I thought Garrett Taylor played fairly well. Of course, he got beat. He was the guy that got beat on the uh, fourth and one call, which was, like I said, a very good call. Send the tight end up the seam. Uh, he was trailing on that one. Uh, th- thought he played fairly well, but he ca- he came back. He had the big stop on Pickett at the goal line. Thought Cam Brown was up and down, but once again, stepped up in a big spot, stopped a screen all by himself late in the game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this defense, it—, it you know, you see you see so many these flashes, especially against the run today. You see these flashes from them, and then all of a sudden, it's just a, a backbreaking letdown. It's a screen pass that goes for twenty yards on when you need eighteen. You know, it's the it's these little things like that, and it's just at some point these guys got to step up and start making those plays themselves. And Micah, who we did see get after the quarterback a bit today, not not full throttle, but he did mention the challenge for their defense right now is. They are looking at a lot of max protection sets because, look, Narduzzi said this week, you're not, we're not going to face a better defensive front than what Penn State's going to bring to the football field. They A lot of running backs chipping in on, on their pass protection uh, today as well. So, yeah, you're going to have to w- find ways to counter that. I will say Jaquan Brisker continues to kind of find his footing a little bit. He's taken his lumps early at last week. Had, he had was a pretty, so close pr- to a pick. Had a glaring missed yeah. tackle yesterday, uh, last week, and then today, uh, yeah, interception that would have been huge kind of goes off of his hand. But it's a learning process for him. Uh, I do think, though, uh, another guy who's playing well at the cornerback position in his second year on campus is Trent Gordon, and, and we've talked a lot about. Uh, I think there's a comparison to be made maybe between cornerback and, and running back in terms of the depth there. Uh, the difference is you can sometimes get away with putting three cornerbacks on the field at one time. Yeah, I thought I thought Gordon played well. We saw a little bit of Keaton Ellis. Keaton had a really nice he tackle. Popped somebody, he yeah. popped somebody. Um, but I thought Tariq Castro-Fields once again played well. John Reed has a couple that he'd like to get back, not so much in coverage, but uh, he grabbed a couple of guys, uh, had a I believe a defensive holding on a third down and then a pass interference on a third down, which is a little a little ticky tack, but uh, we we're not keeping keeping those scores. But uh, the defense as a whole, you see potential, and then you also see these backbreaking uh, just kind of letdowns, and and really until they stop, I mean, you're not sure what what this entire unit can be. But again, zero points in the second half, and and that was a critical. I, I mean, the way this game was going, I really thought Pitt would not have an issue 
find a way to get in that end zone at the one yard line. It seemed like they were playing with a lot of confidence, especially converting those two third and longs. It just felt like they were going to finish off that drive. And credit to them, they go, you know, they throw PJ Musfer out there in the middle of the thing, and they and they bring out their, their the, the big fellows. And 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 I just thought, you know, that that tells you a lot about Penn State's, uh, you know, wherewithal defensively, their ability to bring in uh, and kind of respond in that situation. That was pretty impressive. And I think last week against Buffalo, you know, they certainly played better in the second half. They're looking for a complete performance, obviously. I think it would mean a lot for them to go down to Maryland and take it to Maryland and kind of make that early Big Ten statement. We don't know what we're going to get from them. But I think there is more confidence at this point that we're going to see the defense hit its stride and kind of launch off moving forward than there is about the offense doing that. Yeah, there's, uh, what, 10 points a game for the defense right now. You see some flashes, but the offense really as, as a whole, you're just not seeing the, the continuity that you need. We talked about the running back rotation a little bit earlier. You, you need a little bit more from Ricky Ronnie. Um, I, I thought he made some really good calls today, and they took some some well-measured shots, and, and they missed them. You need to be able to respond to that. You need to be able to you know work your short passing game. Love the drive uh, by Noah Kane. I don't expect that to be every drive, but I think you do need to chip away a little bit, take a little bit more time off the clock from time to time when you decide that what that's what you're going to do because with Noah Kane like I said he's not going to ba- break excuse me he's not going to break the big one but he's going to be a guy that can move the chains for you he's you got guys like shorter that have moved the chains for you so I just think that they're still finding their identity three weeks in that's not necessarily a good thing we talked about you know big plays drive this offense they live and die on it and and, and a lot of their scoring drives are going to be a minute and 20 seconds the danger of that is uh, you know you go for the big play all of a sudden, you go from first and ten to third and ten pretty fast. Instead of saying, "Let's do, let's do a couple runs, let's feel things out, let, let's 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 kind of uh, make this defense take a gut punch and see how they react and, and get it to third and three. And and I think that's the kind of game plan that we saw a little bit with, with Noah Kane. But you know, it's it's been an issue when they're upping games late. And uh, you know that is, you know we saw last week against Buffalo, they had a really terrible possession when the, you know you were working trying to work that clock. It was before they gained a bunch of separation. They came off the field real quick and you know. They had a situation here and, and, and you know, to put the game away against Pitt, uh, and they end up giving the ball back to Pitt. We know how, how much of a threat that proved to be for the Panthers towards the end. They, they very nearly were able to put themselves in the spot to try to tie this game up through some bizarre circumstances. But I, I think ultimately, you know, it, that's what it comes down to. Third, third down success rate is huge. But to me, I'm going to have to, you know, crunch the numbers. We're coming off the game here. But I think third down, they're not often looking at third and two, third and threes like, like a pit is. Uh, well, not today. They couldn't run the ball. But they're so often it feels like third and seven or longer where Clifford's going to feel the pressure to not look you know, close to scrimmage. He's going to be thinking long distance. And, and your percentage of, of actually converting on plays where you're, you're moving further from scrimmage, that goes down in a hurry. Yeah, I think you're you're looking at a lot of predictability right now, just based on down and distance. I mean, I don't think there's a lot of variation in what Ronnie's been calling. Um, you know, like I said, he's taken some good shots. They've taken some good shots and missed them. But how do, how do you respond to that? Um, last week we saw them go to Pat Frymuth very early uh, in the second half on first downs three times, I believe. Um, not much of that today. Not much of getting the ball out to the uh, out to Hamler uh, or trying to get the. They did try to get the ball out to Hamler. Like I said, I like what they did with the running backs out of the, uh, you know, thrown into them out of the backfield. But I mean, there's just a, a, a disjointedness to this and a predictability to this where you're coming off and it's not like you're going out there calling the exact same play, but you're, you're, you're seeing a lot of these. I think you're falling into a lot of habits. Yeah. And, and those habits have not, you know, have not led to a step forward to this point. Now, 
again, uh, no turnovers, that's big. It's not like it's out there and it looks like a circus and, and no one knows where they need to be. Although, again, there was a, a miscommunication or some kind of patterns being crossed on that one route uh, for Fryermuth and, and Hamler, I, I believe, down in the end zone. But I think, you know, you look through this look through this, um, this game, Sean, and, and I'm looking at the box score right now in front of me, and I see a lot of names that were top 100 prospects for a reason. I see a lot of names of guys who are going to be millionaires in the next five years, regardless of how things turn out for the Penn State offense, I think. Um, and, and I'm just wondering, can this coaching staff, it's the biggest question I had when we were talking about our overall preview coming into the late August, is they've done the recruiting. They have really upped their game. The players transferred for a reason this offseason because they saw the rate on the wall. And again, this box score reflects it. The tight end position, the wide receiver position, Sean Clifford, your running backs. We've gone over all that. Offensively, they have a personnel group that is so enviable across I mean give Mark I think Mark Whipple wouldn't he wouldn't tell his team but uh, you know I, I think from top to bottom he probably would trade his personnel although I got to give those wide receivers some good credit but I think a lot of teams would say we'll trade you our guys for your guys and we'll see what we can do with them that's why you know for me the edict has been on Ronnie finding the way to put those pieces together and obviously he's not doing it on his own he's communicating with everybody on that staff. He's got Franklin involved, Jay Wan Sider involved, Jared Parker involved. Everybody's got a hand in this process. But, uh, you know, it, it feels like game to game to game, this guy has a good game, and then maybe he just disappears the next game. And then this guy has a good game. The continuity isn't there. And also just – and that's not just game to game. It's, it's, it's series, series to series. series and that's yeah. the frustrating part uh, for a fan, I would imagine. But I think also, you know, at some point that is going to boil over a bit with the players. They're, they're saying all the right things right now, and they're 3-0, and, and so there's a lot of positive things to focus on. But these players, they also want to know what page they're on. And, and Jared Parker said they tell the receivers, hey, here's the deal. You're going to be playing this many series, and here's where you're going to play them. Uh, but I think there comes a time where, where you got to trust, hey, you've spent three years recruiting some of these guys, and, and you've went through a lot of stuff to make sure they got to your campus. They're here now. Uh, and and it, like I said, you're getting paid the big bucks to figure out how they'll work. And a guy like Noah Kane, a guy like Pat Fryermuth, uh, they want to go and they're going to get paid big money if they stay healthy uh, down the road. And, and they're going to do what they can within their power. When you give them the ball, they're going to do what they can. But you got to find ways to get them the ball and you got to find ways uh, to string out these possessions and string out these games uh, where there's that kind of, you know, again, the predictability is gone and you feel like, wow, Penn State has so many weapons on the field right now. What do we do? I don't get that sense. I feel like you should get that sense from this offense because of the personnel and saying, oh my gosh, there's all these guys across the football field. It should be pick your poison. And I think too often uh, it seems to be kind of taking a bit of a narrow focus, um, which I think you know kind of cuts out some of the ability to, to use a lot of these guys and and, and again, this is all just speculation, and we're going through non-conference, and we're seeing a ton of personnel, and we've seen a lot of rotations that we probably won't see for the remainder of the year. Uh, but again, 17 points against Pitt, uh, you know, they, they played well, um, but I'm talking about Pitt's defense, but I, again, we picked 38 points for a reason, Sean. We've covered a lot of these, you know, these Penn State players for a long time the expectations we've set and uh again ricky ronnie is going to be in the spotlight for as long as it takes and so is matt limegrover because of that offensive line and we've yet to see them take a definitive step forward and and again the big boys are right around the corner for you uh we talked about it next next game we're covering here in beaver stadium it's october yeah and i appreciate you trying to give me some extra time but my <laughs> stats aren't coming up that i was looking for penn state ran just 62 plays today um that's you know when, when you're not extending drives when you're not getting into the rhythm you, you're you're running 
and fewer plays, you're getting fewer targets for your wide receivers. You're getting, you know, you you get into the log jam that you've got at running back. So that's something that that you know you could take a look at over the bye week and see what you can accomplish with with how you plan to attack that. Just seems like a like the, when we talk about their their rotations, they're going in with a mindset, going in with a schedule, and they're sticking to that. It feels like that from a from a game planning perspective as well. Right. There, there it does seem to be uh, again kind of just a script that you're sticking to, and uh, at some point, if, if they come out of, of the of the bye week and and they've had time to to reassess and take a longer look, and let's face it, they have a lot of guys they're counting on in roles that they don't have a, a long look at yet. So now they've got a three week sample. Uh, you think the competition has gotten better week to week to week, and the coaching staff again needs to sit down. They need to make some hard decisions. They need to tell some guys, hey, you know. Uh, you, you're going to be a little more limited moving forward because of the way we're going to approach things. And, and you're going to tell some guys, hey, you've balled out. You've showed it on the practice field. You've showed it in the film room. You're going to have an expanded role when we get out of the bye week. I think that will happen. But that's only part of it because, uh, you know, it's it's just uh, this offense hasn't taken off. And this is dating back to last season when you had a, an experienced quarterback. And we know that the drops were an issue. Different thing for the staff with the wide receiver spot. But uh, you just haven't. I, I just don't think there's been a lot of forward progress since the start of, of the 2018 season. And you know, this is uh, the, after what Joe Moore had accomplished in his two years here offensively. Quite clearly, it was always going to be something that we all focused on. And, and it's just they're three zero. Yeah, they're three zero. <laughs> it's a lot of Groundhog Day. We look yeah. really close with the offense because we've seen you know what an explosive offense looks like and this one you know has been explosive at times but at other times it's 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 winning 17 to 10 what has improved drastically since the start of the 2018 season the special teams it's just uh, night and day compared to last year Joe Lorig has been as advertised so far Jordan Stout has been better than advertised so far which is saying something because we advertised the hell out of him in this offseason <laughs> um, but Jordan Stout was so good Blake Gillikin was very good uh, best best most complete game he's played in a while six he, of his seven punts inside the 20 Sean yeah and it was uh it was a phenomenal effort and they they once again neutralized French which is what they needed to do I think he got one or two returns um, out of it um, and it was actually pretty funny I was watching the the last one on the field and he got up and Jonathan Sutherland and Jesse Lucetta Penn State's resident polite Canadians were giving him the business and that was pretty <laughs> funny to see but Penn State special teams as a whole uh, we didn't see much of Pinnegar today just uh, he's basically the extra point in the shorter field goals guy but uh, under 50 under three. I guess under 50 <laughs> yeah that's what we got and Dan Chisena, I thought, made an incredible play. It was penalized for it. That could have been a, a game-changing play, but the coverage teams has been very good as well. Yeah, I continue to, to say there, there's just they're going to have an athletic edge in, in probably all but one or two matchups this year in terms of special teams and what they're able to put out there on the field. That's just, again, due to the fact they've stockpiled talent on this team. Uh, and, and again, that, that stockpile of talent, is going to bail them out. I, th- I think it bailed them out against Buffalo. There's no doubt about it. And I think in, in some ways it bailed them out today. And, and in some ways this entire installment of the Pitt series, at least the last few, couple of years, it's bailed them out. Look at the second half. You know, last year uh, outscored them 37 nothing. Today, 7 nothing. You know, not 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 <laughs> super impressive, but I think that speaks as well to, you know, there's adjustments, but I also just think Penn State, they've got the thoroughbreds out there that, that, Pitt doesn't have right now, and I think outside of really Ohio State and and maybe maybe Michigan, right now in the Big Ten, they've just got from top to bottom the roster 
that is very desirable for coaching staffs. James Franklin's the man in the driver's seat. He's entrusted his offense and handed those keys to to uh, Ricky Ronnie. It was a it was a decision that needed to be made, and and we know that there was a lot to think about with that decision. And you know he's bought into it. He's been with Ronnie now, dating back to their days at Vanderbilt, and. You know, it's it's a it's a huge huge investment that that he made, and uh, you know we're we're gonna find out as it goes on how that turns out. But you know, certainly still leaving a lot of open-ended questions going into this bye week. They are three and zero. Came into this ranked thirteenth in the AP poll, and, and looking ahead real quick, Sean Maryland lost to Temple today. I was expecting them to kind of face a bit of a dogfight because all the talk this week was about Penn State on the Maryland beat, it sounded like, getting ready for these uh, you know, the, these removable bleachers that they were going to bring in temporarily down there and the, and the 4,000 more ticket requests from the student body than they could handle. And now I think that probably won't be as much of an issue. But I think the stage is still set. As we said, the stepping stones, stepping stones, stepping stones, they got through it. They had some tough moments for the first half against Buffalo. They, they proved something to themselves. Even if they didn't prove a lot to the fans maybe today, I think closing this game out, this defense needed that. There's a swagger to this defense that, that is brewing. And then I think ultimately you come out of this bye week, you go down to Maryland, and we'll learn a lot about this team because I have a feeling they could go down there and lay the hammer and, and build off that. But they could also come out and they could score seven points at halftime and, and they could look like they – are kind of still trying to figure out how to play with one another and still trying to play within within this concept. But I do think that Clifford, because of, of the kind of uh, self-critiquing uh, personality that I've always known him to be and the way he actually genuinely sounded excited to kind of rip himself to shreds this week, I think that's a promising thing. And I think we'll see a much sharper Sean Clifford in week four. Uh, but you got where you wanted record-wise, and you're in a spot where, you know, through three games, there's plenty of teams out there that, that had dreams of maybe competing in the conference championship or getting to the playoff. And, you know, one loss kind of kills that now. And, and it's as long as you can sustain that, it makes things much more fun. And, you know, the 3 no as we expected. But as I said, uh, it's just it's going to be a buzzsaw uh, coming up soon. I'm just sitting over here. You missed the laying the hammer versus laying the egg uh, joke, and I'm really disappointed in you for that. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, it's just three and zero. That's where you want to be. This Maryland game probably bigger than you thought it would be based on the last couple of years in Penn State's uh, uh, in the Penn State Maryland series. But you're you're going out on a Friday night. That's different. You're playing, uh, you know, at Maryland. That's different. You know, it's it, there's a little bit of. Uh, you know, potential uh, pitfalls for this the, for this team. I mean, you, you're not sure how they're going to respond on the road. You got a starting quarterback that hasn't started on the road. It's not going to be the the loudest atmosphere you play in, but it's going to be something different than Beaver Stadium. So you've got that going for you. Um, Penn State's going into a bye week. We're also sort of going into a bye week. We'll probably be back at you later in the week. Just one episode this week because there's not much to report upon. No press conference, no open practice or anything like that. Before I go, one thing, I'm not a refs guy. They were objectively horrible today. James Franklin had to keep himself from getting fined in the press conference. Uh, but they, those guys, that was an ACC crew, I think, with a Big Ten replay crew. They were they were bad. James Franklin might need some gauze for his tongue because I think he was biting down pretty hard uh, when he was asked about the officiating today. And, uh, yeah, you know, sometimes you run into a game. And I will say, towards the end, you're thinking, oh, no, what now with that? You know, when they put eight seconds back on the clock and – these Beaver Stadium fans were ready to just go absolutely insane if somehow it resulted in maybe forcing an overtime that didn't happen. 
Uh, so 17 to 10 is the final score. And uh, for those of you who also you know enjoy reading words uh, on the site, we're going to have a ton of coverage coming off this game. Um, but also through the week with the bye week, it gives me, uh, personally, me a chance to empty the notebook a little bit because it's it these game weeks are tough to put away time to write feature stories. I think there's a few guys on this team I'm excited to highlight for you and, and with some longer, more in-depth writing. So stay tuned for all that kind of stuff. We got you covered on the bye week. We'll have a podcast up. But uh, any final, final thoughts from you, Fitz, uh, as we wrap up here, the first chunk of this schedule as the sun starts to go down in, in Happy Valley on what turned out to be a pretty beautiful afternoon. Yeah, minus the, the lightning delay or the, the severe le- weather delay. No, I think North Atherton d- delay for me. The North Atherton delay. <laughs> oh, traffic, man. Actually, I, I was great with traffic, but I got in and around it pretty easily uh, early this morning. I'll direct you to Neil Riddell's uh, Twitter account if you have any questions on traffic. That's all. I'll get into it. Yeah, well, hey, I mean, can't say you weren't warned. If yeah. you, you know, but anyway, we're not going to get into that. I think we've done final <laughs> thoughts three times by now. Yeah, we're yeah, over yeah. an hour. We're going a little longer because we're not going to go for our first episode this week but i think that's about it uh thank you for joining us from the sweltering visitors coaches <laughs> box in beaver stadium this is the lions 24 7 post game podcast for tyler donahue i'm sean fitz and thanks for listening